Greetings, programs, and welcome to a latest edition of the Awesome Friday Movie Podcast. My name is Matthew, and I'm enjoying watching Simon laugh every time I say that, <laughs> which is why I say it every time. How are you, Simon? We should we should uh, start the podcast, the upload, like 20 seconds before you say your good, good whatever you say, welcome programs, um, because it, it captures the shift of inane banter to <laughs> now we're going to talk in our podcast voices. Because we're such professionals. We are okay. professional. We're very, okay. very professional. I'm, I'm not going to use the adjective tied because it's it's too true. But um, uh, I'm good. I'm, we're getting, we've been in our house for two weeks now and we're um, about to get it beautified because you and your wife are coming over. You are our first true. visitors. Are you aware of this? Yeah, we're very excited. You're going to bring I do enjoy for us. that on our movie podcast, our listeners have had just like, an ongoing narrative of your move. <laughs> it's because it never ends. <laughs> like, it's not a complaint. Somehow, I, think it, I think it makes us relatable. <laughs> somehow, it does. Somehow, uh, all the stuff we had in a one-bedroom den apartment has now filled a three-story, three-bedroom house. Yeah. Uh, we're already out of space. Our delivery guy, who is a giant Greek guy called George, who I'm absolutely convinced is wanted in 10 countries, um, looked at all our stuff and said, you have a lot of stuff. <laughs> like, yes, yeah, we're aware of that, George. Thank you. And uh, he he managed to fit his four-ton truck. He fit all of our belongings into this one truck. Beds, wardrobes, everything. Couches, all of our boxes, all of our belongings into this one truck. And I went to unload it. And honestly, this man could win Tetris World Championships. There was not an inch of wasted space in that truck. It was a thing of duty. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's what movers do, is they Tetris stuff into trucks all day. So. Yes. Yeah, he's very good at it. So, but yesterday, I did that at 44, and the day before yesterday, after two weeks of building all of the Ikea and unboxing everything and moving stuff, my back went, no, no, that's <laughs> that's fine now, thank you. That's enough now. No more bending over, no more lifting. And so I went for a massage and had my back thoroughly um, worked out, and it felt amazing. So well, yay, yay for yay for the needs of an older person. Yay for being adults. <laughs> but I did actually have time to watch the two things we're going to talk about today. I'm quite excited, so I don't have to just ask you questions. I know it's always it a easy. it's always a better a better podcast when we both have opinions. It's just, <laughs> oh, oh, I always have opinions. I don't have to watch something to have opinions. Don't worry. How are you uh, doing? How's your How's your week been? Uh, it's been busy. I. Uh, have a sinus infection, which is fun. Okay. My head feels like it's going to explode. And also, I don't know if you're aware, but there's a raging pandemic going around uh, for a respiratory illness. And that's, you know, nothing to make you feel a little bit like a pariah than having respiratory symptoms while there's a respiratory <laughs> pandemic happening. Have you got to the point yet where you get onto a bus and then suddenly you need to cough? Like you really need to cough? And you're uh, trying, to, trying to like hold yeah. it down and hold it down and hold it down and... I've been there. It's torture. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. So, but no, it's uh, you know, I'm just I've I've I have work in school and writing and and all kinds of stuff. So I'm <laughs> just quite busy. Why don't you just send your wife over and you stay home and just do whatever you need to do, and we'll feed her and send her back to you. Because I want to be fed too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Can't argue yeah. with that. 
Good. Well, what are Good. we talking about this week? So we're going to talk about two new Netflix releases. One that came out last week, the Western called The Harder They Fall. And then the upcoming Netflix release, which is also in limited theatrical release right now, including for those of you who are local to us at the VIF Center. It's playing uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I think. Um, and would be well worth seeing on a big screen. Uh, tick, tick, boom. The movie based on the autobiographical one-man show by Jonathan Larson. Jonathan Larson, who, of course, went on to create Rent. Uh, the, this movie itself, directed by uh, Lin Manuel Miranda, who is uh, apparently inspired to, you know, be Lin Manuel Miranda by watching Tick Tick Boom when it was just a one man show in the '90s, um, and starring Andrew Garfield in what I might posit now to be maybe his best ever performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's so good in it. Certainly in the in the running. Yeah. Um, and no, Netflix is not a sponsor. These are just the movies we like this week. So that's. <laughs> yes. Yeah. At some and point, it had to happen with their flood of new content that it, we were going to have a Netflix special week. That's true. That's true. Um, and we still haven't seen Eternals. So, you know, we'll cover it one day. <laughs> Do you know what I really love about our friend Rob? We have a very, very good, close mutual friend, Rob, who is Netflix um, employed. Mm-hmm. And and so we, we follow the news. There's lots of Netflix news all the time. So we used to like text him on our shared chat, like, hey, Rob, I've heard about this, this, this. And this poor man cannot say a thing about <laughs> anything. So I've just stopped like that. It must be really, it must really annoy him. It's like, oh, I read this was happening. And sometimes you get a, oh, what, 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 what's your source? And then you, you're like, um, I, I get the feeling occasionally that he's worried that someone pulled a button too soon or pushed the button rather. <laughs> like why, why, how do you, how do you know that? Um, but so I've stopped talking to him about Netflix cause, cause of course he wants to be friendly, but he also can't say a damn thing about anything that goes on in Netflix. So I think we need to respect that. <laughs> I mean, especially since he's not employed on the production side. So right. we, we, yeah, we right. keep asking him questions about <laughs> upcoming productions and he's like, I'm a programmer, man. <laughs> he keeps yeah. it all running smoothly. Yeah, it's true. Anyway. anyway. So yes, it is, it is a Netflix special. Um, what's kind of nice about both of these is that you couldn't, were they both Netflix productions? Cause you can't uh, really, that's a good I had, question. I, I had a theory when we watched, um, or when you watched Finch about made-for-TV movies having a different dynamic and a different focus when it's framed and shot and edited, because they know it's going to be on TV. And Finch was actually, as you told me, bought by Apple. But these two, I believe, were made by Netflix. And the nice thing about them is that they both feel like big movies. They feel like cinema movies, um, especially Tick, Tick, Boom. I'd say I would... I would make time to go see Tick, Tick, Boom on the big screen um, if I had the time to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, to be fair, they're both made in partnership with pretty major production companies. The Heart of the Fall was co-produced by Overbrook, which is Will Smith, uh, Will Smith's production company. Um, and Tick, Tick, Boom was produced by um, Imagine Entertainment, and that's Brian Glazer, uh, Grazer and Ron Howard. So... Um, you know, they have pretty, pretty spectacular production partners on these ones, I guess, just with the distribution deals made in advance. And also both of them, um, 
very specifically targeting awards audiences. So they both got limited theatrical runs as well. Um, right. I, I, and I wish that I had had the chance to see, I wish that I had the chance to see the first one. And I wish that I would have, would have had the chance to see the second one in the theater. Cause it is, it is playing again, for those of you in Vancouver, this episode will be, uh, put out on the uh, Sunday, the 14th, and it's playing, so that makes it playing today, tomorrow, the next day, and the next day at the VIF Center. And if you get a chance to go, you mm-hmm. should totally go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you should. I mean, we'll, we'll get to why. I've got a very specific reason why you should see it in the theater later, but um, yeah. I think we're going to talk about the Harder They Fall first. Yeah, that seems like the plan. That one's had a bit of coverage already. Uh, is a... Western film by James Samuel, who's uh, otherwise known by his stage name, The Blitz, when he's a singer. He's also the brother of Seal, which I didn't know until after. Um, and it's a Western film uh, starring a bunch of great actors playing a bunch of black cowboys who really existed, coming together in an Avengers-style lineup where they fight a team of other black bad cowboy bad guys. And it's great. And I don't think Simon liked it, but it's great. <laughs> Uh, I think <laughs> I'm not as like effusive as you like the. Why don't you tell us a give us a synopsis? What happens in this movie? So the opening scene. But 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 wait wait wait. Yeah. You have to use your the harder they fall voice. I don't have one of those. Well, neither does some of this cast, but that didn't stop you. You can do it. Come on, just talk. Just talk no. real low. Okay. So... What happens? The opening scene of this film is a family sitting down to dinner. They have the father's a preacher. He seems quite kind. And then a cowboy shows up with a pair of badass gold pistols. You don't see his face, but he murders the preacher. He murders the preacher's wife and he brands the son with a cross on his forehead. Uh, fast forward to, uh, I don't know how many years later it was, but um, that child is now an adult played by Jonathan Majors. He's an outlaw who is hunting down the gang of the man who killed his family. He's He is Nat Love, who's a fairly famous uh, uh, black cowboy. And he has a gang of his own. And he's looking for Rufus Buck, who is played by Idris Elba and his entire gang to seek revenge. Um, I don't even want to say any more because... Like, <laughs> There's not much you need. First off, you don't really need to say more. It's just, Uh, it's a pretty straightforward Western film where one gang faces off against another. Neither team of people is necessarily, you know, the good guys. It's definitely, you know, anti-heroes versus villains. Um, But uh, there's some pretty spectacular performances. There's a couple of interesting musical numbers. (laughs) Uh, The soundtrack, as the kids say, slaps. And uh, more importantly, not more importantly, but it's also just like super colorful and an obvious homage to the spaghetti Western. And I loved every frame of it. Oh. What did you love about it? Uh, everything I just said. Okay. Oh, everything. One thing that I actually really loved. Uh, so I, I wrote a full review of this. You can go read it on the site. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes, but um, one thing I just really liked, I've talked about this with some people. I don't know if I've talked about it on here, but there's a real trend in film to of desaturation. I think I talked about this when we talked about Dune, uh, where they just, you know, they crank the saturation down. They choose color palettes that are like grays and browns and, you know, blacks. 
Um, and this film is colorful as hell. Uh, in particular, there's one fight towards the end where uh, Regina King and uh, Zazie Beetz face off in a dye factory. <laughs> and as they fight, there's dyes fly and like colorful fabric flying everywhere. And it's just kind of gorgeous to watch. And I really like that the film, I mean, the film's obviously a big push in terms of representation because uh, all the main uh, actors and characters are black. Uh, and it's uh, so many basically amazing black actors, but mm-hmm. it's also just a fun story. It's a fun Western story. And I, I loved every frame of it. Good. I'm glad you did. <laughs> yeah. Why, so so, what, did... so what, what didn't you like? Cause you obviously um, didn't like it as much as I did. I, I, I didn't dislike it. Like let's start with the color. You're absolutely right. The color was really, really nice. The, um, the cast has some of my favorite, actors in it i was not aware until i started watching the credits that zazie beats was in it and i i adore her as a performer jonathan majors is interesting because the first time i'd seen him was at the end of loki mm-hmm. and then based on your recommendation and just whatever the hell did he did in loki that was so singular and and good i i watched a little bit of um oh god the Ah, the horror thing. Um, Lovecraft County. Lovecraft County. So I watched a little bit of that and I thought, okay, that's interesting. Very, very different. So this is the third time I've seen him do something. And again, completely different body language and tonal delivery. And um, I thought he was really, really good. And he's, as an actor, I, I think he's definitely, he seems to be one of these actors who is able to, get that sort of full body chameleon transformation between parts. Like if you saw between this and Loki, there is no, there are no shared qualities at all. And you're, you're, I didn't know about the character in Loki. And so from what you're saying, he's going to pop up a lot more in the future as every variation of whoever that dude was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's an inspired piece of casting, if that's the case, because he's clearly, a very, very, very good actor. He was mm-hmm. good at changing, um, changing things on a, on a very micro level, and it's difficult. As an, I spent a lot of my life being an acting teacher, and so I look very, very carefully at choices and body language and things like that. And he's he's so precise. He's so good, and he's got so much going on without overdoing anything. And um, I feel the same way about Lakeith Stanfield as well. I think Lakeith Stanfield is one of the best actors we have in any format at the moment. Mm-hmm. He is, uh, again, another chameleon. And I forget the first thing I saw him in, but the, it, the second thing I saw him in was, um, oh, it's not Thank You for Smoking. It's called... Um, sorry to Bother You. Sorry to Bother You. And I, was, I actually had to check the credits that it was the same guy. And mm-hmm. that's always, you know, and then I saw him in a few other things and he is just incredibly focused and, and no difference in this. Like the cast were not bad. I'm never that convinced by Idris Elba. I'm really? Not. Yeah. Interesting. I'm never, never that convinced by him at all. The, the most I've ever been convinced by him was in Suicide Squad. And everything else I see him in, I just don't believe, I don't believe it. I don't, I don't believe the character at all. And I don't know why that is. 
Um, but the the in terms of the rest of the cast, like of course Delroy Lindo is not going to be bad. And um, I mean Delroy Lindo, like walking down a street with two pistols, killing guys left and right, is probably <laughs> probably the coolest thing you'll see all year. And, and it's and, such a such a perfect yeah. callback to so many spaghetti westerns with yeah. just the the way the whole big final battle is shot. Yeah. Uh, with just the camera angles and the and the way that the camera follows them around is so perfect in yeah. terms of a loving homage to that style of filmmaking. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like Regina King as well. After I, the first thing I'd seen her in was Watchmen, and I just blew me away. And she's an incredible actress too. So the, the cast is there. The 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 look was there. I just felt for me it just it felt a little too much uh, how can i put this almost like a, a music video trying to be a western like it didn't feel it, there were so many on the nose creative decisions like where they go to the name they they decide to rob a bank for reasons the bank the bank robbers want to rob a bank this is not a spoiler and so they they mentioned this one town. They need a certain amount of money, so they have to hit a bank. And they mentioned this one town, and someone says that's a white town. And they're like, yeah, that's why they'll have ten thousand dollars in the bank. And so when they go to the the town, it is literally a white town. Like everything is bleached: the ground, <laughs> the floor, the buildings. And up until that point, we've seen towns like Redwood that have been very dusty and very red and very chalky. Uh, and sort of that that brownish tinge to everything. So I think there's a line between subtlety and and I kind of feel the same way about the gunfights as well. The gunfights when they're you mentioned Dory Lindo walking out with his twin pistols. They didn't feel um, they felt maybe over. Oh, well, I don't know over choreographed overproduced it felt like a music video to me and i think see, the main see. thing the main thing i didn't like let me finish this one thought because the yeah. main thing i didn't like was the soundtrack so the the soundtrack uh use a lot of modern beats and a lot of modern music and it's I, very anachronistic for sure yeah i truly believe i would have enjoyed it more if it had used more of a classic sort of Morricone. And it had some in there. You know, the closing credits with the um, that amazing choral song and the closing credits? Mm-hmm. That was amazing. And if I think that could have been the music style for the whole thing, like a bit more... Because tr- the movie's trying to be a traditional Western and does a really good job of it. I don't want to hear hip-hop beats and rapping over uh, uh, an entrance into a Western town. I want to hear... Things and and when Zosie Beats and um, Regina King start fighting in the di- in the dye factory, just before they get there, they walk in and they're facing off and and instead of it cutting to something a bit more dramatic to build the tension, it starts this like funky modern hip hop soundtrack and it turns into a comedy fight. There were no st- so it took away all the stakes for me. It was it felt like a music video. Oh, I disagree entirely. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I I love this movie. I this uh, just to give you an idea. Um, I've, I think I've watched like a hundred and sixty odd of this year's movies so far, which is a lot. And uh, this is one of only six that I've given a full five stars to. So I adored it. Um, I thought the soundtrack really worked. Um, I think if it had been a little, I think if it had been leaned more the other way, I don't think it would have as unique a voice uh, just from a filmmaking perspective. Um, I think that all of the cast are 
perfectly on point. And I think that the way that the music was integrated works pretty well. Um, I think that Idris Elba was, was pretty good in this. Uh, I think it's, I actually liked him better in this than I did in Suicide Squad. That's just not to say that I disliked him in Suicide Squad. I just liked the cool and casual malevolence he has in this compared to that. Because they're both that kind of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the moment that sold me on it was <laughs> there's a moment where he gets to his like town after being sprung from jail and he starts telling people he, they're going to have to tax them to keep them safe. And then someone voice, someone speaks up and the guy who speaks up doesn't even, doesn't even disagree. He just like asks questions and Idris Elba's character just kills him on the spot and says, uh, any other questions? <laughs> and they move on. Um, I also sort of disagree on the, like, it's true when they get to that town, which I can't remember the name of, but they get to that town and like the interior of the bank is stark white, which is an obvious, it's a pretty obvious choice to be fair, but compared to most Westerns that are produced today, especially like the towns, the other towns, the other, which are clearly sets, which I know doesn't work for everyone, but like, again, they're trying to be that spaghetti Western look, but the other sets were also all quite colorful, relatively speaking. Like you watch a, you know, the current sort of revisionist Western style and you people, a guy walks into, into a town and like, it's all bare wood with bare wood signs. And like, maybe, a you know, the saloon has a sign and it's like, you know, etched with a, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, like it's a charcoal sign, like it's etched in with fire. And this was like big, bright painted buildings with painted signs and, you know, big, the bad guy's lair is a three-story building with huge glass windows and red trim. And comparatively speaking to most films, it's very, very colorful. Is that choice in the white town to make the whole thing white obvious? Yes. Did it take away from the movie for me? No, not at all. Oh, I thought it was funny. Interesting. Yeah. No, you see, that's the uh, we're we're just the other side of that. Did it take away? From, did it add anything to the movie for me? Did it feel like? It, it was a clever choice. I, it just felt like the director going, ah, it's a white down, so we're going to make everything stark white. It didn't feel subtle to me at all. Yeah. It was a bit on the nose. But I think, I think maybe a lot of this comes down to the genre itself, because you know I don't really like westerns as a genre. Until I do, I can't work out, well, you're going to have to tell me the time, but the, the 310 to Yuma, or wherever it's called. 310 to Yuma. Yuma. I love that movie. I have no idea why I love that specific Western. And there's a couple of other Westerns I've watched that I really, really like. And I'm not sure if we count Back to the Future 3 as a Western. I mean, It's obviously a Western. Okay, good. Well, I like that one too. Um, and of course, Star Wars is a space Western. I just don't know. I was thinking about this actually last night um, after we'd texted each other after watching Tick, Tick, Boom. And I wonder if... It's because on Sunday afternoons, my parents often put Westerns on the TV, like old, um, uh, even like John Wayne Westerns. Mm -hmm. And I remember finding them incomprehensibly boring as a child because I didn't really get what was going on. And I wonder if that's just stuck with me now. Maybe. It could also be, you know, the the worst kept secret in the world is that John Wayne is not actually a good actor. (laughs) So... uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I mean, it makes sense. I even think I even said when we were talking about covering this one, you texted me after you watched it to be like, oh, that was fine. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't like Westerns. So 
if it's fine, that's actually kind of ahead of the game for you. <laughs> like... I just don't get like the ones I do like. I mean, Back to the Future is obviously there's a sci-fi element. I love the characters, so that's fine. But the Three Tones of Humor is a is a pretty straight western, and I have no idea why I love that film and not other westerns. We should uh, we should do a make remake episode with the original with that and its original because that's actually oh. a remake too. Oh really? Yeah, it's a remake of a pretty classic western. Also called Three Ten to Yuma. I don't know my Westerns at all. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> no, thanks, thanks for yeah. not judging. Who's well, I mean, so so for me, it's a pretty pretty square five out of five. Um, what what are you, what would you give it on your whatever your rating scale is? Two, two out of five. It didn't really like that. It was fine. It was just fine, and some of the I. Like when they fight and they go into the dye factory, I'm like, oh, that's quite a clever way of adding color. And that's, oh, yeah, it's fine. And I, it has many actors that I really love in it. It just felt a bit forced and a bit fake and a bit, the soundtrack didn't work for me at all. It didn't hmm. feel authentic at all. Interesting. Well, there you have it, folks. Definitely watch cool. the movies. You can decide yes. whose side you're on. <laughs> That's absolutely a perfect example of why you should ignore all reviews and just watch the damn thing if you're interested in it. Yeah. Because one That's of us accurate. is right. <laughs> <laughs> in, your, in your world, one of us is right. And someone else is, it's the other person. That is correct. Um, so shall we go on to our second movie? Yeah, I think, I think we've said all we have to say. Oh, I'm going to just chime in and say, in case we didn't already say so, obviously Regina King is pretty incredible. Um, Delroy Lindo is always cool. Um, interestingly, um, RJ Seiler, I think his name is, uh, he's the quick draw on Jonathan Major's team in the movie. He was pretty fun to watch. Um, and uh, uh, Eddie Gefeggi, who plays Bill Pickett, uh, the sharpshooter Bill Pickett in this is also pretty fun to watch. Like the cast on this is on point, mm-hmm. um, uh, so I think you should definitely check it out. Yeah, yeah, good, awesome. Uh, do you know what? Can I? I remember one other thing I want to talk about this movie that mm-hmm. when I was watching it and when it didn't feel authentic, and then I was trying to think. So, in terms of idiosyncratic like soundtracks and classic western was with modern elements and so i thought a lot about tarantino i thought about django i thought about um oh the the one in the cabin that i actually really like is that a western because it's set in those times you mean the hateful oh, eight hateful eight i yeah. really like the hateful yeah, it's eight. definitely a western like okay good so and i like django as well and i thought about tarantino's choice of music because he he sometimes mixes things up as well but I think what Tarantino does is try to keep it a bit more classic to the style of the film rather than putting hip hop over a Western. Do you know what I mean? It did, yeah. it did feel kind of Tarantino-esque in parts. Definitely. I don't know if you felt the same. I mean, it definitely felt like James Samuel trying to, you know, take, take a classic style and elevate it with his own voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he accomplished that. Um, you know, whether it works for you or me is I think that he, I think he's, I think he accomplished what he set out to do. Yeah. And okay. in terms of like the film feeling authentic, I think that it's not like, 
I sort of have a hard time with this question because, you know, revisionist Western, the more popular style of Western today really does strive for an authentic feel in the way, the way the world feels and the way the world looks and the way that people act within it. But classic Westerns, which is what this is very much emulating, don't. <laughs> Most of them don't feel very authentic, especially if you have any understanding of how the Wild West actually was. Um, so none of that bothers me, just based on the style those movies trying to emulate. Like it didn't even didn't even didn't even enter my brain because it just didn't doesn't matter for the type of story they're trying to tell for me. So yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Okay, that was my last thought. Good. Well, let's move on. Let's move on to so this movie, uh, Tick Tick Boom, directed by Lin Manuel Miranda, mm-hmm. uh, an adaptation of Jonathan Larson's first one man, and then later reworked into a three man, three person stage show, uh, which Miranda actually starred in at one point. I think right around the same time as In the Heights, um, uh, and starring Andrew Garfield and a number of other people and it is also kind of i was kind of floored by this movie to be totally honest Mm -hmm. i didn't know really what to expect um but why don't you why don't you i i talked about this one so why don't you give us a bit of a rundown on this film as you're the theater guy so you tell you you tell us so this is a theater kid directing a movie about a theater kid for other theater kids and there's lots and lots of theater kids like either actual theatre kids or inside all of us there's the theatre kids somewhere and it's about Jonathan Larson who uh, in the 90s when he's just about to turn 30 were, was was trying to achieve his dream of writing a musical and he'd spent eight years writing, writing this science fiction musical which on paper sounds like a terrible idea and um, reminded me of when I tried to set the crucible in space and if you know anything about the crucible um, you'll realize very quickly that's a terrible idea. And luckily, I did too, just in time. <laughs> but he's the basically it's the story of him. It's the story of Jonathan Larson just before his thirtieth birthday, or, or around his thirtieth birthday in the nineteen nineties, with the AIDS um, epidemic in full swing, uh, with all the fear that goes around that as well, and the uncertainty and the death. And he's trying to make someone hear his art. Like he's written this musical, all but one song. And he uh, he has managed to find one guy who says yes to putting on a workshop. And his his agent is not very good at getting back to him. But he all he wants is people listening to his art. Like he's he's definitely one of these artists, which all artists feel like is like if only if only people could just hear and see what I can do. Mm-hmm. Like all this, all this musical beauty inside you, and like anyone like me who spent a large part of their life in the theatre or and writing stuff and creating things, it doesn't take much to really empathise with that, that like burning that feeling of wanting someone to just hear what you can do, and he's he's a he's a very extravagant kind of extrovert style speaker and performer and. The really interesting thing, because really that's the, the the story is it's the biopic of this guy at this point in his life. It it doesn't get into his rent days, it doesn't get into how he tragically died just before the first showing of, of rent. It's really this snapshot of time 
where he changes as a performer because mm-hmm. things things happen and he makes decisions and they're good decisions and again other performers will recognize those decisions too and the really interesting thing about this the thing that i loved is that it is a piece of musical theater directed as a film and so many films that we see these days that that want to be musicals i'm not going to name them but there's if you compare modern musicals to classic musicals, something feels off, right? It doesn't feel like, why doesn't this feel like a classic musical? And the reason is they're films with songs in, mm-hmm. with a bit of fancy trickery. This is a film made by someone who understands musical theatre and understands how theatre should look. This is not a film with songs in. This is a brilliantly directed and edited and composed and written movie that is a piece of theatre designed for the screen. And really, uh, I haven't been to the theatre in years because of all of this. And just, it left me kind of, that, that my jaw was on the floor for a lot of it because it, it is so, I've never seen a film that captures that electric feeling of sitting in front of a group of people creating art in front of your eyes because films don't usually do that you don't in the theater people go to the theater for that connection especially musical theater and it's so expensive to do so musical theater is so expensive and so many people can't do it and this is like going to a show and the way it's told as his one-man show is so clever that i didn't realize i didn't know anything about tick tick boom I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Rent, to be fair. And so I didn't know that much about Larson apart from the, the tragedy of him creating this thing and then not seeing it to fruition. I didn't know about his earlier years. I didn't know about his space musical and how Tick, Tick, Boom came into existence. And the songs from this one-man show are used to tell the story of how he, he journeys from one thing to the next. And it's so clever. It's so clever and so moving. And technically, like, Lin-Manuel Miranda, it's fair to say, uh, has done some things I've not been a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was kind of expecting it to be okay. Like, good songs, but he this is his first feature. He's not directed anything in film before. He's not done any kind of TV or anything. He's a theatre kid. And I was expecting it to be a little indulgent, and a little flat and a little lifeless because it's so hard to get that same energy on screen. And it was none of those things. It was snappy. You wouldn't believe that this is his first shot making a movie Mm -hmm. because it was snappy. It was full of energy and the structure, the musical theater structure was used to tell the story of a musical theater creator, just like it would have been in the theater, like blown away by it completely. Yeah. I think that, Lin-Manuel Miranda, this being his first feature, that's a hell of a thing. I think it definitely benefits from the fact that he has not only a love for Jonathan Larson, again, uh, he credits seeing the one-man show version of this as being the thing that inspired him to be a theater kid, basically. Uh, And I think having that level of reverence and also having performed it himself, he again, he did a run of the revival of this show, the the three-person version of it, the version that this film is based on um, where he was the, he played the Jonathan character, the John character. 
Um, and actually, Leslie Odom from Hamilton played the other singer, um, the other male singer in it. Um, and I think in trying to, in framing the whole story around the one man show, the, the three man show being performed, that sort of the three man stage show is, this becomes the frame for the story. And as a song comes up, the scenes that lead up to the song and then happen during the song are obviously the parts of his life that inspired that song. And I think it's a, a very smart choice. Um, I sought out and watched a bunch of clips, uh, as much of it as I could find, basically, without totally breaking the law, um, of the one-man show and of the three-man show. And, like, it's totally different. Um, I think that this is a rare case where the movie is 100% better than the stage show. Um, just by the way, and just by the way that it mixes and matches and cuts back and forth from the stage show being performed to the actual scenes being acted out. Um, and also the way it doesn't, it doesn't do that thing that I kind of hate modern musicals for where they sing live. <laughs> um, it's definitely like, I'm sure they were singing on set, but I'm also a hundred percent sure that they sang after the fact and put that dubbing over every performance because it just sounds amazing <laughs> in a way that you know it's the lame is problem when they sing live right like it, the the you can get emotion but you can't hear what the fuck they're talking about <laughs> um and then uh, honestly so everything you said uh plus the fact that turns out andrew garfield is a hell of a performer oh my god uh, like I, I already, so we already knew he was a hell of an actor. Like that's a thing that's already been well established by many of his choices and many of his performances. But apparently, he was approached uh, a year before they even started filming, and in that year, he learned not only to sing but to play the piano. And his performance is like a hundred percent theater energy in the most outgoing and exuberant way, and it is so wonderful to watch him perform throughout this film uh and i think that again having gone back and watched some of the clips of some of the like monologues and songs from the stage shows i think that they're staged better here and i think that they're performed more sincerely here as well especially any of the ones that require him to emote in any way other than happy <laughs> um i think he brings a real depth to the to the emotion of all of the songs that is not missing, but definitely not as as deep, for lack of a better word, in those versions. Um, there's also, I found a really good clip online of, uh, so the, the opening song, which is called 3090, um, comparing, like just having them side by side with uh, uh, Garfield with Larson. And it's amazing how close to, like he looks and sounds like Larson. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. It really, really captured him in the performance. I fully expect Andrew Garfield to be up for all of the awards this year. And it, it, the nice thing is that he will deserve every single one of them. Like sometimes something like this can can be Oscar bait or, or Tony bait or any kind of award bait you want to talk about. When, oh, when wait, an actor... Wait, wait. Uh, <coughs> Remy Malik. <sighs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Wow, you should get that scene to you. Got an ass case of the overrated actors. Yeah. Um, the yeah, you're completely right. Like whenever these days, because 
the stupid thing is like any kind of triple threat, even double threat these days, is like, oh my god, he can sing too. This is amazing. He can dance. When when film started and all the film actors were theater actors who just moved over into the Warner lots, they were all triple threats. You watch Guys and Dolls now, you look at Brando who is singing and dancing his heart out in Guys and Dolls. Like every single actor could sing, could dance, and could um, act, obviously. And if you couldn't do those three things, you, you didn't work. So I, it does piss me off that whenever any kind of modern film actor dares to sing a line in anything, everyone's like fawns over them. Except in, in this, like he is, he's clearly not being, um, this is his voice. This is him singing. He got the part after the man Miranda saw him on Broadway and Angels in America. And now you can really see why, because he is so watchable. And in terms of his acting as well, like Larson had a very distinct body language and, and it, I, I think it would have been quite hard to capture that without appearing over the top or too like effeminate at times, centered at times. Garfield just manages to nail it completely. He like he he is completely believable. I'm sorry, I keep laughing whenever I talk about Andrew Garfield in this one because I keep saying Garfield should get the awards for this, and I love Garfield the cat, so it keeps, <laughs> I, it keeps in my mind. I keep chuckling, but the, you know, I, Andrew Garfield is a British man. He's from Surrey. He has no business to have an accent this good. Like you can't hear. When I first found out he was English, which was after watching him on Social Network and Spider-Man and lots of things, I I had to double and triple check because he is beyond solid. He made everything he does, and I was thinking about this last night, like how why did his performance work so well? It's because he just put everything up there. He was so honest in the performance. Mm-hmm. You could see everything in his face. There was no pretension there at all, even though he's playing this very pretentious character with a very high opinion of himself because he was a legit genius, but he didn't play it that way. He was just so honest. And there's some very moving moments with his, his girlfriend that uh, are just so true. Like he's just so good at finding that balance between lying, which is all acting, lying and telling the truth. And, and he was spectacular. I thought, and and yeah. I, I just want to give a shout out to Vanessa Hutchins and for Limel Miranda recognizing the fact that without High School Musical, particularly High School Musical three, there would be no modern cinema musicals. And I've <laughs> I've got I've had that article in my drafts for about nine years because <laughs> there is no modern movie musical without High School Musical three. Feel free to tweet me because I will tell you why in great detail. But Vanessa Hutchins, she's a musical theatre kid as well. And she is brilliant in this. She is like in a, in electric. A, in a relatively small and I want to say thankless, but relatively in small a, role as well. Completely understated. Like she is not there to be the star. And she is there. She's very much a supporting role. And yet it's one of those supporting roles that brings everything together. And she is amazing in this. Yeah. And uh, see... Uh, wow, my brain just went away from me. Uh, see also Alexandra Ship, who I have only really yeah. seen in the X-Men films, but she plays Susan, uh, John's uh, girlfriend, and she is wonderful. 
and uh, Robin de Jesus as a best friend, Michael, also wonderful. And one thing I think, one thing I really liked, and as I understand, I'm sure this is the point of the stage show that I never saw as well, but like the, the, the film really captures, I think, that sort of go for broke attitude where you, John gives literally everything to his creation, including his two central relationships mm -hmm. and his girlfriend and his best friend. Um, they're both pretty severely impacted by the way he decides to live his life. And it's also interesting that I think if you tried to make this, tell this story in a 2020 context, it wouldn't really work. <laughs> um, it definitely needs to be set, you know, in 1990 or before back when selling out was a bad thing. And when being a starving artist was a, a thing people did. Um, and when, you know, being forced to choose and to give things up for your art and for your creation were a thing. Uh, it's not that they're not now, but, you know, if Jonathan Larson, if you tried to tell the story about a similar character in 2020, he would have an Instagram and a TikTok and he'd have a million followers. And that's how he'd get his break, right? It wouldn't just be based on his talent. It would be a whole yeah. other dynamic to it that, that would make it less impactful, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Yeah, it's a very different society we live in in terms of getting recognized for art. Like, the process is painfully different now. I mean, this movie is about suffering for your art. It wasn't easy, but it was a, a lot more focused. These The the modern approach of, cl like, measuring clout instead mm -hmm. of measuring talent. I mean, in this, in this, uh, in his workshop, when he puts it on, he's a no, he's nobody, um, but Stephen Sondheim swings by to watch what he's doing. And it, in the, in the frame of 1990, New York, that was possible because Sondheim went around and he looked for new things, but these days it would be agents and Instagrams and followers and mm -hmm. free work samples. And, and it's, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be Stephen Sondheim stopped by and gave you a note. It would be Stephen no. Sondheim liked your video and left you a comment. No, it'll, be, <laughs> it'll be a YouTube influencer asking for a free ticket and they're not turning up. It would just, just, yeah. it's very, very depressing. I don't want to get into this in detail, but it's very, very depressing how little our society values art at the moment mm. and artistic expression, which was once, heralded and, and held as the measure of a society. Like the art that was created was how you view that society. And that's a long time ago, literally and figuratively. And this, this film kind of brings that home as well. But so if you're a struggling artist, what's nice about this is that I often watch films about struggling artists and it kind of, it, it affects me on a very deep emotional level. And this did too, but on a much more positive sense, even though obviously it didn't end well for him. I like, by the way, on that note, I like how the, I thought the film would end on his death uh, as a dramatic moment, but it actually mm -hmm. ends with his life and the fact that he died a couple of days before the first performance of Rent is a, is a sub note. Like it ends with him being alive instead of being dead. And I think that was an amazing choice. Like Lin-Manuel Lin Miranda made some very, very good choices 
with this movie, both in the writing and the editing, in the framing, in the direction. Like, I'm sure you're right. He's been around film people for so long now. I'm sure he's got a selection of technical people who have made this film look and sound so good. Obviously, he had his man from Hamilton do all the music. I forget his name, but, you know, you know the the guy. I mean, the guy who did well, the, Hamilton stuff. I mean the 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 all the songs and all the lyrics. That's all Jonathan Larson. So, uh, but the arrangement was the guy from Hamilton. Oh, okay. The, the, the um, symphonic arrangement, and it, it just sounded great. And so I I finished watching this and and expecting to feel that kind of heavy weight of I haven't achieved my dreams, but instead it was it was a lightness. It was a real like. It was a happy ending and i didn't think this film would give me a happy ending because in, in the real world he he dies with this terrible undiagnosed heart condition uh, brain like aneurysm actually mid mid 30s it was a tear a foot-long tear in his aorta oh <laughs> like how can yes. how can one live with that and just not know and it was just like lights out mid 30s he's done so yeah 35 I, and like the, the the morning of the first ever performance of yeah. rent there's a certain dramatic irony to that, isn't there? But the, I don't know. I didn't know much of the story. I didn't know much about him past Rent. And I feel very uh, lucky to have learned everything about him in, in this framing with, with this film that actually managed to feel like musical theatre, which was really, really impressive. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, again, it's like, a, like I said before that like, I think it helps that, you know, Miranda has been in and around this particular performance for his entire professional career. I think there's a great deal of reverence and I think a great deal of want to do it justice. Uh, And in some ways, I kind of think it's a bit of a shame that everyone's talking about, you know, a lot of the reviews that I've seen already and a lot of the news I've seen already is talking about how great that Manuel Miranda has done with this. And I, I'm not trying to discount that, but it, you know, the movie is supposed to be celebrating Jonathan Larson and not Lynn Manuel Miranda. And the way our news cycle works, I feel like that may be being lost a little bit. Mm. Um, I guess so. But Mar- Miranda's, you can see when, when he paints the story of this theater kid, who's just trying to be heard by making something different. And, and when you see how he incorporates hip hop into his like classical theater styles. You start seeing the parallel with Miranda's own writing style and his, his rhyming couplets that he's really fond of. And when he rhymes from words in the, the midway point of the previous line, you hear it in Larson's stuff as well. And it's, it's really nice to see someone so inspired by this guy mm-hmm. who's made his whole life through from that inspiration and has now made a film with this guy who parallels him so much. So hopefully, I mean, that's the thing with Miranda as well. Like a big part of this movie is make, make, make the next thing. If people don't like what you've done, make another thing and make another thing. And so after Hamilton, that focus on Miranda is like, what on earth is he going to do next? And to be fair, he didn't go the easy route and do another straight musical. He did all kinds of things. He did films and animation and soundtracks and uh, it'll be very interesting to see if he does go back to musical theatre, what he goes for next. Because what is next after Hamilton? I mean, the next thing? I mean, <laughs> who knows? 
Oh, it's really good. It was really, really good. And I really liked everyone in it as well. I liked the messages. I liked the... There's a lovely moment where his agent doesn't doesn't call him back for ages. And she manages to get these producers to come see his stuff. And he keeps leaving her messages. And at one point, she just stops the veneer and takes the phone off, uh, like, speaker and holds up to her ear. So you know that the real shit's coming. And she's like, just... When he's like, what do I, what do, I do now? No one wants to do my thing. And she's like, Make, from someone who's been in this position make something else like yeah. just keep making just keep making stuff do the next thing that's that's, that's the life of a writer yeah. do the next thing yeah yeah throw it against the wall see who looks at it and do the next thing and it's it's good advice it's pretty inspiring actually to keep creating and not worrying about how it's received just keep making it mm-hmm. so yeah it's good five stars for me Ooh. Uh, I haven't settled because I'm still thinking about it a lot, but it's going to be a four or five for me as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I told you last night when I finished watching it that I I stayed <laughs> I finished watching it at about uh, right before you said you finished watching it. So that was at like one or yeah. uh, about twenty to one. Yeah, twenty to one, and I was up until about two thirty just rewatching songs <laughs> and looking at clips from the stage shows and. Rewatching the song some more. <laughs> um, what was your favorite song? Um, I, I I didn't know any of these songs beforehand. I only know his rent stuff. Um, I didn't no. know Tick Tick Boom. So uh, based on the movie, my favorite song is either the one we can't talk about, or <laughs> <laughs> for reasons. Don't worry, there's some nice surprises, but we yeah. can't talk about them. Um, I like Thirty Ninety very very much. The chord changes in Thirty Ninety. Like the opening of that song tells you everything you need to know about Larson as a songwriter and tells you a lot about Miranda as well because there's some half line chord changes that are pretty special. And there's so much energy and the split harmonies between the three vocalists and the, the musical background as well. Yeah, what's your favorite? I mean, it's 3090. Uh, and interestingly, um, I really like the second song. Uh, the one that he they in in the movie it's presented as uh, he comes up with it on the spot. It's called uh, Boho Days, um, the one where he's just singing about his apartment while they're having a party. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, which is straight out of the stage show. Um, <laughs> but I really love that whole sequence in the in the movie. That was one of my favorite bits. Sorry, you finished what you're saying. You've just reminded me of something that was I absolutely loved. Carry on. Uh, no, that was pretty much it. I just love that song, and I keep. Uh, it's interesting. I look. I found a recording like of the original version of it, and it it, it excises an entire uh, verse. But it's otherwise. It's such a lovely moment in the film. Yeah. And the best part about that moment in the film, because you're right, they they show it like he's in the party and he starts tapping the beat and then sings to all his friends and and everyone's kind of into it. Everyone sings along and it's as if it's this jazz thing. But one of his friends had bought this like football jock with him who had no knowledge of musical theater oh yeah the, everyone's everyone else is a musical theater person and they stop and clap and he's just like that was awesome <laughs> <laughs> he, he was the dude was like how did everyone know what to say like that kind of dude and yeah he is so like 
into it. He's so happy to be there. They don't play him as like an ignorant jock. They play him as someone who's like, oh, that was really cool. And then right at the end, when you see like in the audience, all the people he's influenced and influenced him and the jock is there like yeah. just clapping along. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts. Yeah. There's a real like, uh, I mean, I think we've said almost everything we need to say because this movie's so yeah. great. But there's definitely, yeah. if you if you like musical theater as well, just keep your eyes open because like mm. uh, Bradley Whitford is in this. Uh, you can see Chris Sullivan in the background. You can see several people from Hamilton mm. just sitting in the crowd at one point. Um, basically, I think not everyone, but lots of original cast members from Rent are just in the background at various times. Like there's lots of people in this. If you, yeah. if you pay attention, there's lots of people for you to, to recognize in the background. Yep. Sure is. Yeah. So yeah, watch it. And, and honestly, even if you don't like musical theater, I'd be really interested what your wife thinks of this. Cause she doesn't really like musical theater, right? That is correct. So obviously when I watch something, and you're a total theater kid as well. I don't know how you managed to miss. You've got such a big theater kid leaning, and you always have. <laughs> I don't know how you managed to miss that part of your life. Well, but I, um, I, you're a theater kid. I clearly am a theater kid. Uh, so I, that obviously colors our view of something like this. I would be really interested if someone who has no interest in musical theater watches this, because it's not like Schmigadoon. Like Schmigadoon, the Apple TV show where they fall into a classic musical is written for people who both love and hate musicals very specifically. So it's kind of for everyone. This is clearly a love letter to musical theatre's uh, kids about musical theatre, using musical theatre as the medium. So I'd be really interested to, to hear her reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll sit down and watch it at some point. Get her on the podcast. We should get your wife on the podcast. That's oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I think it would be actually. She's uh, she's quite smart, smarter than me for sure. She is. She is a writer. Yeah. Good. Okay. Uh, well, what do you have coming up in the next week? Anything Im- impressive? Anything? <laughs> well, I I can't physically make any more IKEA furniture because I I think we've bought everything that's in stock. Um, I want to watch. Uh, I've started watching what we do in the shadows series three, mm-hmm. which has just popped up. So I'm two episodes into that. Um, just love that show so much and the there's a in the second episode one of the actors has a field day because he gets to be all of the other actors and that's all you need to know and <laughs> he also says the line Guillermo come on not everyone gets to hold their great great grandfather's penis in their hands and it's just wonderful moments like that um you know there's nothing in the world that is quite as funny as Matt Berry saying the word sexual. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Berry saying anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, He's so and, good. Um, I haven't started Cowboy Bebop yet, so I might take a look at that. And... Yeah, we're going to be talking about Cowboy Bebop next week on the podcast, so I hope so. Oh, okay, I will yeah. watch that then. How about you? What have you got coming up? Uh, I have seen all I've, oh, I'm not allowed to talk about it, but there's a, a certain space cowboy show that I need to write about for next week. Um, uh, what else? Uh, the Canadian genre film festival blood in the snow is, uh, the online portion is over, but the in-person part in Toronto is happening next weekend. So you'll start to see some reviews from films from that going up on the site soon. Um, and then I don't know. There's, uh, 
there's uh there's something else we're getting screened for i'll be seeing if all goes to plan i'll be seeing the, the new resident evil movie this week i am um, so i'm actually quite jealous that i can't make that yeah um it looks terrible but it's my jam it does look terrible but i don't i don't like i don't, I don't know i my schedule's packed so mm-hmm. yeah and then uh i don't know it doesn't start for a bit but whistler film festival starts in december as well so and the uh, vancouver um asian film festival starts soonish doesn't it i think so i haven't actually heard back from them no so i haven't either fingers yeah. crossed oh well yeah anyway okay thank you for listening now matt has some messages for you uh, I mean, yeah, this is the point where I, I say thank you for listening. And uh, we'd like to ask you for all the things that every other podcast you've ever listened to asks for. Go to the website, awesomefriday.ca, and subscribe to our Patreon or our Kofi or our PayPal. Uh, click on an ad. Say you love us. Follow us or give us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. We are on, uh, last time I checked, we're on all of them. Uh, so yeah, and we love each and every one of you. Well, we do, and we know where you live. We have your addresses. <laughs> uh, we don't. We do. just to be clear, our we don't. We don't collect oh, any yes. user data. Wink. Yeah. We don't. <laughs> Wink. Yeah. Uh, right. No, we don't. Because I definitely set it up that way purposefully. Uh, <laughs> Um, so yeah, we will see you guys in a week. Thank you for listening. And, uh, uh, that's, that's, I had another thought, but it left my brain. So have a good, have a good week. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. Bye.